Hello, this is Hers to Tell Season 3, Episode 2, and this is your host, Christine Anjard. Hers to Tell is a podcast for anybody who might be struggling with either anxiety, insecurity, depression, or just somebody who is having a bad day and needs a boost of confidence. We are here to bring women together to talk about overcoming adversity and to just bring some positivity to people um, in the world, uh, in and outside of the United States. So inevitably, that'll create community and um, we're here for each other. So tonight, we um, have a very special guest and she is going to share her story about moving to the United States and rerouting her life here and she's actually been here for 10 years so without further ado i would like to introduce you to fifa fifa thank you for coming on this podcast tonight thank you for having me and for feeling and trusting to have a story to tell that may benefit others i appreciate it of course so to start tell me a little bit about what you do and why you do it (laughs) i'm a veterinarian and uh, i'm very very proud to be one. The route to become a veterinarian was very long and hence I am so happy that you know it's been a lifelong dream and that I'm doing it every day now. So yeah. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to become a veterinarian or what put you on this path. Perfect. Yeah it's gonna be a long one but we'll try and keep it concise. So I always go back to this specific story because I think it was a pivotal moment for me without me even knowing it at that point in time. So I was on my way to school and my dad was driving me and on the opposite side of the road, I saw a black dog that was just laying in the middle of the road onto morning morning traffic. So I told my dad, just turn, 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 you know, and Basically, when we arrived, I just hopped out of the van that my dad was driving. I started stopping morning traffic and pulled the dog to the side of the road. She was truly skin and bones. And in Singapore, you don't really see a lot of stray dogs. And I knew that it's either she was hit by a car or she was abandoned at one point in time and she was just too exhausted. It turns out when we brought her to the vet that she had heartworms, so literally worms in the heart, and we had to nurse her back to health. And she truly opened my eyes to a world of vet medicine. I mean, since her, I have rescued 123 dogs and cats to date, but she was the start to that. And what was very important for me in wanting to even become a veterinarian was the fact that I saw how expensive it was to be able to afford all these treatments. And I truly didn't like the feeling of feeling helpless and not knowing how to help the pets. And so I just thought, you know, why not? Why not be a veterinarian so that I can be that crazy dog and cat lady that saves all these animals and make them feel better and find them good, good homes. But yeah, she was really the start to everything else. Mm-hmm. Wow. And your dad must have been so proud when you were standing up and helping the dog. And 
I cannot be more thankful to have a family that really believed in my dreams. Like we are all animal lovers and yes, my dad had a huge role to play in that. Like he was the ones that he was the one that actually encouraged me mm-hmm. to become a veterinarian. Um, funny story is the fact that I would never have even pursued being a veterinarian if it wasn't for him. So I received a letter from Iowa State University um, asked basically for an own enrollment really and I told my dad no I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go for the interview and my dad told my elder sister at that time to take a day off work and make sure that I go for the interview and they liked me they provided me the scholarship and the next thing I know, a couple months later, I was on a plane to the United States. It was, I think the way that life turned out was so surreal for me. I felt like as if, as if there's a higher power that actually put things in place. I didn't know it at that time, but it definitely um, started to unravel in a positive light. And um, I... I honestly wouldn't be a veterinarian or even be in the United States if it wasn't for my dad who pushed me and made me um, pursue my dreams. How old were you when you had that first encounter with that with that dog or with that puppy? I was 18. You were 18. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you're like I know I want to come to the United States mm-hmm. and I want to be a vet. Were there any vet programs in Singapore? I was actually part of the first vet nursing program in Singapore and it was so competitive. They only had 20 students and I mean Asia is already so competitive to begin with when it comes to school. So I was fortunate to have been even enrolled in that and then I guess where I was going with that is at that point in time there wasn't any vet program in singapore so if you wanted to be a veterinarian you either the closest was australia Mm -hmm. and for me i've always once i found my passion i derive a lot of happiness from helping others both four and two-legged both humans and animals so i felt like it was important for me to have a certificate that would be helpful internationally and at that point in time the only way to achieve that was to get to go to a school that was ABME accredited so that was the United States I see okay so for me that was why I came to the United States just because at that point in time neither Europe nor Australia was ABME accredited of course, two years into vet school, they became <laughs> But, you know, no wow. regrets. I met my fiancé here, and I, nine years later, here we are. <laughs> so accreditation was really important to you, then? Absolutely, because I have always found deep meaning in helping underserved communities. And that is my hope and goal. And mm-hmm. I think even here in the United States, now that I'm a veterinarian, that has been my pursuit. So for example, this coming Saturday, I'll be providing a free clinic to pets that belong to the homeless population Wow! on its own. So through that, I feel like I have always 
I recognize my privilege from a very young age. Nobody can really choose where they are born, the family that they are born to, and the social economic standing that they were born into. I was very privileged and fortunate to be born into a loving family, into a middle-class family of a developed nation. So I have always recognized the fact that my privilege can be of help to others because there are some people who don't have that. They were not born into that type of privilege. And if there is a way that I can help alleviate even a very small, tiny fraction of their life, I think it makes me happy inside. That's what inspires you, it sounds like. Yeah, it motivates me greatly. Mm -hmm. I think part of being a veterinarian is like, you learn things through textbook, but you know that life doesn't follow textbooks really. Mm -hmm. You can get data, but those are in a controlled setting, right? So when I, I, working in a vet clinic as a nurse prior to being a veterinarian, I saw clearly how veterinarians became desensitized through time. Because you're always faced with life and death until sometimes it does take a certain amount of being desensitized to be able to look at a, at a patient do your job. Because if you're always bawling, mm-hmm. if you see a sick <laughs> patient, you're not going to be of help to them, really. Mm-hmm. But I also do see that sometimes it takes the humanity away from the profession. So I recognize from a very early stage that for me, what inspires me and keeps me grounded is by helping the less fortunate, Mm. both the humans and the animals. So that's what makes me happy inside. I'd like to back up a little bit. So when you got your acceptance, letter to move to the United States. Tell me what was running through your head and Mm. tell me a little bit about what excited you, what made you nervous. Absolutely. Of course, I was raised to be very independent and I was excited at the prospect that I actually am able to pursue my dreams. However, I was also very aware of the fact that I had a lot running on my shoulders because I was the first one in my entire lineage, to put it that way, uh, extended an immediate family to be able to pursue professional education. So I had, I, my siblings underwent undergraduate, but not to the level of uh, professional schools. And failure was not an option. Not getting to vet school was not an option because I had uh, four siblings and my two parents financially supporting that in order for me to see it to the end. So that burden was very apparent to me. So as much as I was excited that I was going to be living in a different country, exposed to a different culture, uh, I was very aware of the mission, (laughs) to put it that way, that Mm -hmm. I had on hand to to fulfill not only my dreams, but also theirs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a little bit of expectation there. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit more about what you were expecting and anticipating coming to the United States. Honestly, because I came here in 20... December 24th, 2010. I'll never forget it because it felt like a Christmas gift. Mm. And I landed in LA. It was my first time, at least in the United States. Um, And we were at a hotel right by Universal Studios. It was my my first time in winter. Singapore is a tropical country. (laughs) So getting used to the cold was another. I was very pleasantly surprised at how friendly people were. Being from a huge metropolitan city, I was used to people being aloof and minding their own business. Mm-hmm. So the fact that people were truly intrigued in me, saying things like, nice boots, that those kind of things doesn't happen in Singapore kind of thing. It's like they, they will be thinking in their mind, oh, you look cute, but they will never say it outright. So the fact that people here were so easy to compliment others was truly refreshing for me. Um, The other thing, I was hyper aware of my accent. I still am. (laughs) I've learned to deal with it. And and that's okay. As long as, you know, when I first came here, I tried to so-called assimilate and pick up the American (laughs) accent. I mean, I don't know, five years later, I was like, don't even bother just be you right because at the end of the day i think with our uniqueness and my background i think with each one of us despite our differences there is the uniqueness that each of us bring is actually a strength Mm -hmm. Um, and i recognized that very early on in undergrad so i know i'm kind of digressing away from the initial question which was like what was I anticipating but honest truth be told I was afraid that as a um, brown skin Muslim girl that I would be discriminated against Mm -hmm. and that has never been my experience here and I'm very happy and fortunate and thankful that that wasn't the case Um, the best way to put it this way is you know whether it's our Instagram, our own personal Instagram, or should I say the analogy of the Instagram of the United States, which is the media, you will only put, show highlights, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the extremes. It's either the truly positive or the truly negative. But that's not what happens on a daily basis, really. And so I found that people here are very accepting to diversity. People here are curious to know your background. It's not a negative thing and share because I think because they've not been to that side of the world, they are curious and there's nothing wrong with curiosity whatsoever. Hmm. All right. So I found that because I am different, I have used it as a platform to actually empower others in every facet of my education. Um, journey and also I do also feel that at the end of the day if you use it in a positive light people are just gonna view you as an individual rather than as a representative of an entire crowd to put it that way or entire population Mm -hmm. they're just gonna see you as you Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. What I like specifically about that, what you were saying is when you flew to the United States, people were accepting and I think you said outright with their words and saying, oh, cute boots. Like that was your example, which I really liked. So first of all, congratulations for being here for 10 years in on December 4th. That's such a huge, huge milestone for you. So congratulations. And then time flies. Yeah. And my next question is, do you have the same impression of people here now than you did 10 years ago? Wow, that's a very poignant question. I would say yes, because honestly, United States embraced me for my diversity. Mm-hmm. The opportunities that have been presented to me here was endless. And I know they say this is the land of opportunity, and I and I 100% agree with that. I think if you hustle, you work hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you work hard enough, you'll be able, people are gonna recognize you for your potential and for what you're able to bring forth to the table. Mm-hmm. One thing that is slightly different though is leadership and how that's viewed in Asia and here. So, just a quick story is like when I've always passionately believe in the causes that I would like to pursue and some of sometimes I do receive comments like but you're such a petite girl and you speak with a small voice however I think I did not let that become a barrier in the pursuit of the causes that I would like to push and advocate for so I allowed my actions to speak louder than words and I think with time, the results prove themselves and then people just let me be really, to put it that way, and support me and up supporting me in the causes that I believe in. And I think that's beautiful in itself because I am able to take that platform to pursue it accordingly. And I do feel that there is some level of risk that United States actually allow you to have, to put it that way. Because in Asia, I think, at least in Singapore, you have to make calculated risk. Mm. So is this truly going to work? I think there is more room for failure here. And I think that's beautiful because failure in itself would teach you way more than success ever would. And here I failed a lot, and I'm proud to say that. And I might not have succeeded in all my pursuits, but I've learned from each one of them. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about in Singapore? Like, do you think you might not have had the same opportunities with school? Or I guess, Mm. do you think you would have been like limited, if you will? I would say for sure. I, mm, in Singapore, they look a lot primarily on grades itself. So even the entrance into university is primarily on your grades. My grades were great, but, and I'm saying that like so proudly, I'm so sorry that I should have some level of humility. But that being said, (laughs) over here, grades are not everything. And I think that's the beauty of it. They want you, oh my God, the vet school 
entrance application, they look at your leadership qualities and it's not enough to just say it, you need to prove it. So my fellow colleagues and I, we started, for me, I only got to start four years prior to applying to vet school. So some of my fellow classmates, I should say, started as early as middle school to build up their so-called resume in order to get to vet school. It's intense, very intense, like leadership skills, your contribution to the community. How are you different? So because people who are applying to, to vet school, your grades must be good. And that is just the rule there is. So what makes you different really? How are you going to contribute to vet medicine such that the other person can't? So the amount of competition there there is, it's palpable even in undergrad. And I guess you you are so hyper focused on it in order to you know, that the fact that there's nothing that four years before you enter that school, you're just doing everything you can to make that application that you send in the most competitive possible. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is a lot of pressure. Getting into vet school is one thing though. Surviving vet school is another. Oh my god. Yeah, that is a different story altogether. I would say that Iowa State was a breeze. Being in vet school, it feels like being on Survivor Island really. Mm -hmm. You don't sleep much. You're constantly studying. Yeah. So was vet school four years for you then? Mm -hmm. And it was worth it, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, I've we've made lifelong friends. Our vet friends are family, and I speak to them to the, till this date. There, it's it's like you are going through a four year boot camp or marathon. You survive together. You don't sleep together. You study together you eat together it's it's crazy but we made it i i feel like vet school was also another point in my life where i learned about myself the most i had to embrace my weaknesses i knew i've always had to work extra hard science mm -hmm. have never been my forte and for me just the just the dream was big right just to be a vet was so important to me that i was willing to forego a lot of sleep a lot of meals just to achieve that mm -hmm. and so did a lot of my friends a lot of my friends and i this has been like almost a childhood dream once you realize it you just go for it mm. that seems to be a common theme that you've said a lot is go for it mm -hmm. push yourself on your dreams and your dream was to be a vet i mean started in Singapore mm -hmm. and four years of undergrad, four years of vet school, mm -hmm. and you've been in the United States for 10 years. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now you're helping underprivileged people and you're mm -hmm. driven and you're motivated. Has there ever been a point where you were nervous about the path that you've taken at all? Or has have you always been super gung-ho and, and motivated and seen clearly? 
I would say if you're asking me specifically about the goal and dream, I've never had two doubts about it. I was willing to go for it. And if, you know, some people would say at the expense of family. Mm -hmm. So 10 years, because all my family is back in Singapore. So if you say that it, it, at certain point in times where I do question myself, I still do till today. And honestly, I don't really quite have the answer for it. And the question that I often ask myself is, when is that line between the pursuit of a dream and sacrificing family time okay? So this 10 years being away from family, being away from shed memories, creating memories. My parents are getting older and so are my siblings. So sometimes when I go home, I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about because they had a certain incident that happened that they're reflecting on that I don't have any clue what they're talking about. So I even asked one of one of my true seniors, he's like 20, 30 years older than me. I said, how do you balance the fact that you are pursuing your dream at the expense of sacrificing family? And he said he didn't have an answer either because his parents passed when he wasn't present. Until today, that's my greatest fear. So I would say that indirect answer to your question is it is something that I still struggle with every day and that and that's all right I hopefully would gain some clarity through time but I do know that where I am right now is the best way to contribute to my family not only monetarily but also with the hopes and dreams of building them a better future hmm Beautiful. That's very well said. <laughs> Thank you. I love that message. And you're obviously, you love your family so dearly, and you can clearly see that with how much you talk about them, even in the last 20 minutes or so that we've been <laughs> talking. So what advice would you give to somebody who is uprooting their life, either from a different country to a different state? What advice would you give to them in their upcoming journey? I would say truly reach for the stars but stay rooted to the ground because it might sound so cliche but I think identifying what makes you you and the background that you came from keeps you humble and it would provide you motivation because the very fact that you're able to even pursue it is a privilege in the first place because some people would want to pursue a certain opportunity that they think is present but for various reasons they are not able to so the fact that you're able to take the greatest advantage of that and position and this is just for me being someone who loves to contribute to, to society position yourself in such a manner where you will be able to provide that similar opportunity to the masses in the future. Because I think when you, the, if you were to give more, you'll receive more in return. And hopefully, and you never know how you would impact the lives of others, even if it's not, if it, even if it's not your next of kin really. 
anything that would keep your motivation going mm-hmm. yeah helping others and giving to others certainly reaps benefits for yourself and your life and I think that's really good advice to give to somebody and I mean even moving from Florida to Denver can be such a culture change it's and huge. such a shift mm-hmm. so yeah I really embrace that um, you just said to accept the opportunity and to stay humble and remember your family and keep those to heart but also you have to pursue your dreams mm-hmm. finding that right balance I'm sure was was hard at first but yeah you've been here for 10 years and Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you miss your family, but definitely do, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure that you're blossoming in your career, and you're even leading this event on Saturday, which sounds so great. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that event? Yeah, specifically? for sure. So, as I mentioned a little earlier, is that I've always known that once I became a vet, I needed something to ground me. And that was, again, helping the underserved population. So I sought um, one of the organizations that was present here. And he himself is an amazing man where basically he provides free veterinary care to the homeless population and their pets in need or those on the brink of homelessness. And for me, being able to speak to those that are homeless, I think that is such a, how should I put it, humbling experience because you realize how fortunate you are, how you fret over the smallest things. Like my house is not well decorated or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you have a pumpkins. house. Yeah, you have a house. Like the water is not warm enough. There's running water. It's something as simple as that. And I think that enabled me to view my role as a veterinarian in a bigger light. It's not just to help my clients who are paying me for my services, but to feel that you know just like the humans these pets did not choose whom their owners would be and so if i could alleviate their predicament in a positive way and hence also alleviating their owners predicament as well i would have fulfilled my role and my very purpose of why i wanted to become a veterinarian in the first place that's amazing (laughs) and I love your perspective on you just you see it as an opportunity to be humbled and to be grateful for what we have because it's so easy you come home to the house every single day and for as long as I can remember I've had a roof over my head so it's something that you don't think about Mm -hmm. when you're when you're in it every day until you step out of your comfort zone and just immerse yourself in it in in a different environment and it's very beautiful to give again give back to others and I love that you said it grounds you to your passion and and what drives you it also breaks the stereotype that we have of people 
So it's so easy for us to judge the person sitting on the corner in that street. But trust me, when I say that the number of people, homeless people who sought our services, that they wouldn't seek medical attention for themselves, but they went out of their way for their pet because that is the only thing that looks up to them without any judgment and 100% love. Mm. And I would even dare say that sometimes that's the only love that they actually know of mm -hmm. in their lives. So, and I, if that is that one thing that provides them some level of comfort in the scary world that they live in, then why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about the mentality that we can have to make this world a better place, but the last question I want to ask is, what is something that each of us can do individually to help make this world a more positive place? I would say given the age of social media speak kind words and don't hesitate to correct the wrongs because there's a lot of mistruths out there mm -hmm. I would say stand up for people that are mistreated and being judged because it's easier to look away but there is a lot more strength in not turning your head away from something that is just not right. Mm -hmm. I think if more of us embrace the differences in us and not judge just based on how the situation appears to be, having more conversations in person, I think it will make a lot of the social dilemmas that we face today better because mm. sometimes it just takes a simple conversation to realize how wrong our preconceived notions are mm. it's very humbling it is very humbling and you just described grace right is loving somebody else accepting them for who they are and just being willing and open to be kind and having honest conversations mm -hmm. not it's the total and complete opposite of judgment. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I know I said a couple ways <laughs> that not just one, but right. I think that's so important right now because mm -hmm. we we look a lot at a lot of things on social media where it's just a one-liner without much elaboration. And sometimes we don't take the extra effort to read the elaborations, right? We've mm -hmm. gotten to that age where we don't. And I think putting in that extra effort, whether it's in real life, having the added conversation, or even through our electronic platforms is very important. We mm. just go the extra mile to read a little bit more, learn a little bit more before forming a judgment. Mm -hmm. It's very important. So important. Great message. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, FIFA. There are so many good takeaways from today's message, and I cannot be more happy with how this conversation went. So if somebody listened to your message and loved something that you said and they want to reach out, what's the best way for people to reach you? Hmm, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> so I would say you can reach out to me directly through my Instagram. Okay. So 
it sounds like I know this is so silly this is why I say people say I make lame jokes but do you know like the giant that goes B5 <laughs> that's my yeah. Instagram so fee-fa-fo-fam. just DM me and I, I'll be more than happy I, you know I'm a very introverted person but I am so passionate about meeting other people mm-hmm. and learning more about them mm-hmm. it'll be really nice to get in touch perfect mm-hmm. This is such a gift and a blessing. And again, I'm so appreciative of your time and the message that you brought for this entire podcast. I think we all have a lot to learn. And congratulations again on being here for 10 years and uprooting your entire life here. And I'm glad that you found happiness. Thank you for having me and for seeing some value in the stories that I bring. Of course. Season three, episode two, that is a wrap. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.